Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. How many of you have enjoyed having Mike and Josh speak to us over the last couple of weeks? And yeah, it's been great. It's been a good encouragement, I think, for our church family and uh, really thankful. And today we have our third and final intern, Justin uh, Casimore, who's going to be coming up and sharing with us this morning as well. And so uh, we're going to continue in the apologetic series and really excited. So Justin, you can come on up and share with us and uh share what you have put lots and lots of time into. And so just want you to know I'm very thankful for these men and uh, the time they're putting into this and what God is doing in and through them. And we're very excited. So Justin, thank you. Good morning, everyone. So before we jump in this morning, um, I want to share with you that when I started this journey of uh, becoming a pastoral intern, I never thought that I'd actually get to this moment. Um, I never believed I would actually stand up here and and, and actually deliver a sermon. Um, I'm sure most of you know I'm pretty introverted, um, so getting up here is pretty difficult for me. Um, But it's been a great journey, um, you know, for me uh, to get up here, get more comfortable up here. Uh, so thanks for all of you putting up with the, the nervousness and, and that and loving me through all that. So um, here we are a couple years later um, with the first sermon I've ever given. Um, and as I was preparing, um, my goal was to make the, the best sermon I possibly could. Um, and so I grabbed all these books, um, all these resources from the library here at the church. Um, Nate gave me two other books and I gotta be honest with you, I didn't open a single one of them. As I was writing uh, and preparing, the thing I found out is this is all I needed. Um, and I was like, I know that sounds cliche, um, but it was actually pretty cool to kind of go through this process where God was telling me, hey, this is the only book you're gonna need. Um, uh, so let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. God, thank you uh, for time to, uh, together to worship and hear from your word. I pray that we would all be open to what you have for us this morning, and that above all else, you would be glorified through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Our big idea this morning is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus is exclusive and unique. Being the Son of God and the Son of Man, he chose to come to earth, and after living a perfect life, willfully took on human suffering and death for our sake. He's the only way to salvation. And we have a responsibility to share that with the world. Jesus' birth was ordinary, and he lived and died just like you and I. The fact that Jesus was born, lived a life, and then died does not make him unique. The difference, however, is the fact that Jesus, being perfect and eternal, chose to come to earth to be the perfect sacrifice to unite God with his people. This makes him unique among world religions, and it also makes him exclusive. You can't believe in Jesus' message for salvation and also believe in karma. You can't look at your horoscope for life advice. 
He is exclusive and unique, especially compared to the religions of the world. So what do the major religions of the world think about Jesus? Most world religions actually agree that Jesus walked the earth. However, none of them agree on who he was, and none of them get it right either. The Jewish religion calls Jesus a great rabbi. In Islam, he was a prophet, in Buddhism, a teacher, and in Hinduism, a manifest deity, but one among many. So what then makes Jesus and his message so exclusive and unique? Today's culture demands acceptance of everyone's opinions, and if you even just disagree, you're seen as opposing the cultural views. This means that if Jesus walked among us right now, his message would be just as radical and polarizing as it was during his ministry. See, Jesus didn't say he was one way among many. In fact, several times in scripture, he makes it clear that he is the only way. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men through which we must be saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is exclusive because he said he is the only way to the Father, not a way, a truth, or a life, but the way, the truth, and the life. Exclusive because only Jesus was willing to put himself at the center of the story to reconcile God and his people. He's also exclusive because of his deity. Deity, or its lack thereof, looks very different among the religions of the world. Uh, the founder of Buddhism, Buddha, was a prince, uh, which meant he was living in a palace, and uh, he had a very lavish lifestyle, and he chose to leave that lifestyle um, for a life of poverty. Once this didn't satisfy him, he sought a life that wasn't lavish, but also didn't include deprivation. And after six years of this, he found enlightenment and dedicated the rest of his life to teaching others uh, to achieve the same state. In Islam, uh, the, the main prophet is Muhammad. He called himself a prophet, but the Quran itself says that Muhammad is nothing more than a messenger and not a divine being. Really interesting to note is that Islam has 99 names for God, but not one of them addresses him as a father. Hinduism is a polytheistic religion that has three main deities. The Hindu Trimurti consists of Brahma the creator, Vishnu the preserver, and Shiva the destroyer. And whilst Hindus believe that these entities are deities, none of them are described as exclusive or as human. Judaism shares the same God as Christianity, uh, but does not recognize Jesus as the son of God. Judaism does not acknowledge that Jesus as, was a deity or even that he was a prophet. But Jesus is different. Scripture gives us several examples that show Jesus' deity, one of which is 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You can see that none of the, uh, these other religions' founders call themselves the one true God, nor do they claim that they are the way to salvation. 
In fact, not every world religion even believes in salvation. Buddhists believe in re, re, uh, sorry, in reincarnation with the eventual goal of achieving nirvana. Nirvana is being able to completely remove yourself from human suffering. Muslims and Hindus alike believe in works-based salvation, meaning as long as your good works outweigh your bad, you can be saved. Jews believe in merit-based salvation as well, um, but their merit is earned by adhering to the 613 laws found in the Torah. Only Jesus, as a deity, humbled himself and came to save his people by dying in their place. Jesus, being both God and man, is perfect. He put himself at the center of the story because there was no other way for God and his people to be reconciled. And during my prep, you guys notice I, I, I wrote Jesus, I didn't write Christianity. During my prep, I came to a point where I felt like I could have wrote the whole sermon just within the different sects of Christianity. There are dozens of churches in our area, and I believe that many of them are likely pointing people to Jesus, but sometimes churches get so caught up in semantics that they forget that Jesus is the most important aspect of our faith. I was raised Lutheran, and I went through the process of confirmation, which involved going to two years of classes with my pastor. And I learned a lot in that process, and I'm still grateful for it. Um, but after those two years of classes, I had to sit up front and be questioned by the elders of the church. Um, and so these, these elders of the church had to confirm my faith, and I believe that we have no responsibility to confirm the faith of others. Uh, but we do have a tremendous opportunity to point people to Jesus. So let's look more at the life of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus lived a perfect life that fulfilled the prophets of the Old, Testa of the Old Testament. He performed many great miracles, healing the sick, casting out demons, and feeding thousands of people. But given the fact that he was a member of the triune God, this isn't particularly surprising. What makes his life so unique is his sinlessness and acceptance of human, human suffering by choice. Listen to these words pulled from Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised, uh, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus, being perfectly God and perfectly man, took the fate meant for us. He was beaten and crucified and showed his humanity in those moments. Earlier in Isaiah 52, we read that Jesus was marred beyond human semblance. Being who Jesus was, he could have easy, easily chosen to not experience his suffering, but that wouldn't satisfy his Father's will. His humanity is emphasized when we read that he experienced grief. 
If the life of Jesus was absent of human suffering, it wouldn't have been the same story. But because we hear about his suffering, we can also believe that Jesus experienced other emotions as well. A friend of mine has this sketch hanging in her house. I love it because it reminds me that Jesus is in fact human. We don't realize, we don't read about Jesus laughing in the Bible, but we can assume that he did because of this experience with human emotion. I love the idea that one day we'll be able to share a laugh with Jesus. So far, we've looked at how Jesus and his message are unique and exclusive. As we've seen, part of what makes him unique is his human suffering and death in our place. However, his death wasn't particularly unique. Just consider the fact that he was crucified between two criminals, one repentant and one unrepentant. The implications of his death, however, were certainly important because Jesus' death is not the end of the story. What makes Jesus the most unique is his life before his birth and after his death. The most unique quality that Jesus has is that he is eternal. We can look back at John chapter 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. Was not anything made that was made. Note the capitalization of word, which makes it clear that John is referring to Jesus. And because of this text in John, we can actually go all the way back to Genesis 1, where we can again see that Jesus was with his Father. See, verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness. Jesus was together as a co-equal, co-eternal member of the Trinity with the Father and the Holy Spirit at the creation of the world. This cannot be said of any of the other world religions that we've looked at today. Because of this connection between Genesis 1 and John 1, we can know that Jesus had a life even before his earthly birth. But the most important thing we will talk about this morning is that he also had a life after his death. Just a couple months ago, we celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus on Easter morning. And as I was preparing this sermon, one of the things I explored was where Jesus was for three days between his death and resurrection. There's a lot of debate about this topic, some believing that Jesus went to be with his Father. However, I believe that when Jesus says in John chapter 20, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, he disproves this theory. The other main theory is that Jesus went to what is historically called the place of the dead. This is often confused with hell, but we find out in Revelation that it's not the same. Hell represents the second death, and death in Hades, that is Satan and the Antichrist, will be the first ones cast there. Therefore, it's my belief that Jesus was, in fact, in Sheol, this place of the dead referenced in Revelation. Now, beyond the resurrection, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and his disciples. And for the sake of time, I won't unpack the significance of those uh, appearances. I think Mike did a great job of that a couple weeks ago. Um, But they are important. Because of these appearances, we have eyewitness accounts to the resurrection. And these eyewitness, eyewitnesses are responsible for the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. All the, the gospels were written before 70 AD, which is also unique to, uh, to Jesus. All of the major texts in the other world religions were written hundreds or even thousands of years after the events within them took place. Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after the resurrection. In the same way, he was taken to the Father, he will return to bring all the righteous dead to the new creation where God will once again dwell with his people for eternity. So Jesus' life after his death will never actually end, and should you believe him, neither will yours.
And so if we believe him, what now is our responsibility? When Jesus was teaching during his ministry, he said a lot of poignant things, and I want to emphasize two of them. The first is the Great Commandment, and the second is the Great Commission. The Great Commandment, as you know, is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And later in Matthew, we read the Great, uh, the great Commission, which was given amongst both those who believed and doubters. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't call us to simply accept his message for our own sake. He commands us to share the good news by teaching and loving others. One of our core rhythms as a church is go, because Jesus told us to do exactly that. We've realized that our mission field is right next door. Our mission field could be our workplace. So are you loving your coworkers the way Jesus would have? I know I have a lot of room to grow in this area. I think we often let fear of rejection and ridicule get in the way of us sharing our faith, especially in today's world. But we can't hold on to this message of Jesus and not share it with others. I encourage each of you to take a look at your mission field. Who do you know that needs to hear the good news, maybe for the first time, or maybe just in a new way? Jesus came with a radical and exclusive message of salvation in his name. Despite his deity, he took on human flesh, choosing to live a perfect life, suffer, and die in our place. No other world religion possesses a God who dies to save their people. So if you're here and you think there is another way, I invite you to consider the words again that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, the bread of life, our Redeemer, the Son of the living God, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, came to make a way for God to once again dwell with his creation. Only this Jesus offers the free gift of salvation in his name. The question, the question now is, do you believe him? And if so, how is it manifesting in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice in our place. We are grateful that death was not the end of the story. We look forward to dwelling with you again in the new creation. Give us courage and boldness to share your good news in our everyday mission fields. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.